Hello, listeners. Welcome to HIV in Focus. This is a podcast series created by Gilead Sciences to explore the most pressing issues for people living with HIV and to provide practical, bite-sized tips for clinicians from experts in the field. I'm Dr. Naomi Sutton. I'm a consultant physician in sexual health working in Rotherham, and I will be hosting this series. I've been lucky enough to have a number of media roles, including the sex clinic on E4, and I try to use these platforms for education, especially the wider public, on all topics related to sex. Today's topic is going to be, is it okay to talk about your weight? And I have two fabulous guests, Dr. Anna Milinkovic and Dr. Donald O'Shea, who are going to give us some practical hints and tips about what we can do better in our HIV clinics. So, Dr. Anna, can you introduce yourself? So, hello and welcome everybody. My name is Anna Milinkovic. I'm Senior Clinical Trial and HIV Physician at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. My research interests include morphological and metabolic complication of antiretroviral treatment and HIV, and I have established and run HIV metabolic outpatient services and live well pathway clinic for people living with the HIV and complex body composition, metabolic and atherosclerotic complication, and accelerated bone demineralization in Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. Thank you. Absolute pleasure to be talking to you. And Donald, please tell us a bit about you. Yeah, I'm uh, Don Lochet. I'm a, an endocrinologist and I'm 25 years now pretty much exclusively in the weight management field. It's been uh, an incredibly exciting 25 years and we've established what was the first multidisciplinary treatment unit for adults living with severe and complex obesity in Ireland when I moved back from London and I'm involved with advising the government on the national obesity strategy and what we need to do to address it both prevention and treatment wise. And today is actually World Obesity Day. Yes and I'm delighted about that because uh, you know I think it's a sign of the times. Uh, Days like this are important in destigmatizing illness and raising awareness and in really marking the cards of government in terms of what they're doing about this kind of thing as well as other healthcare professionals. So, Donald, can we start with you? What what do we need to know as HIV physicians about weight, metabolic syndrome? Give us some basics. I think it's, the answer is for all physicians. What do all physicians need mm-hmm. to know about weight? Number one, it's much easier to stop weight going on uh, than it is uh, to get weight off. So prevention throughout the life course and prevention on your medical journey at times when you might be about to put weight on. So in the life course, that's pregnancy, that's stopping active sports. It's maybe an injury that makes you suddenly sedentary. On your medical journey, it's, again, starting a course of steroids for your illness. In the context of HIV, there's clear links between medication and weight. So if you can highlight for somebody that the next four months are a critical point and, you know, keep an extra eye on the energy in and the energy out, then you can begin to prevent weight gain. What's absolutely critical is that we realize prevention and treatment are different for diseases. The analogy I like to use now with patients and indeed with other health professionals to get their head around it is the uh, kind of malignant melanoma kind of analogy. Um, So 
you get that particular type of skin cancer because you have a genetic predisposition and you get too much energy from the sun for your genes. And we do not say to somebody with malignant melanoma uh, that your treatment is put on sunscreen and wear a hat. That's how you stop melanoma. People develop obesity because they have a genetic predisposition and they get too much energy from their kind of energy in and physical activity out, but they get too much energy for their genes. And yet we're still telling people with obesity, even severe and complex obesity, eat less, move more is your treatment. That's not your treatment, it's your prevention. So just as with the melanoma, we do surgery and give adjunctive therapy. That's where we are now with obesity. There are pharmacotherapies currently available to us and will be many more of them in the next couple of decades. And there's a very good surgical approach for people with severe and complex obesity. And if you can tell the individual who has uh, obesity that we understand how weight is regulated much better now that we understand eat less move more can deliver maybe five percent weight loss and that's mm -hmm. great but for more than that you have to look at the additional treatments and then you find the patient you know they, they feel better about themselves because mm -hmm. they've likely been through this cycle of you lose weight and you put it back on again you lose weight and you put it back on again and sometimes in that yo-yo cycling of diet you lose weight and put on more and that repeated cycle of fail perpetuates a kind of a feeling of self-loathing in in a lot mm -hmm. of the patients that I would deal with at the extreme end and and just explaining that we understand it better and that their body weight is not their choice opens them up to a different way of thinking and and they're likely mm -hmm. to do better in that 5% window because they're less hard on themselves and then maybe you can build on that if you need with pharmacotherapy. And I find that approach really, really interesting because personally, I think discussing weight in clinic is often really difficult because you know how stigmatizing it is. I like your analogy about the malignant melanoma. I think I'm definitely going to take that home and use that when I'm discussing it. So you're saying we should be talking about preventing weight gain definitely when we're even thinking about changing medication. So Anna, can I bring you in at this point? Because obviously this is, well, as a HIV physician, we know that there are links with certain groups of medication. Tell me what we should be doing then when we're starting somebody or changing somebody's medication. I think that we should uh, start from the concept that we can like need to know our enemy. So we can't prevent complication if we don't know that they are mm -hmm. there. So we are proposing for everybody to do the body composition, weight, body mass index and waist circumferences, blood pressure and co-medication list and fasting lipids and fasting blood sugar and uh, HP1AC at least annually and uh, after antiretroviral uh, treatment start or mm -hmm. a switch. And what do we do if we find people are piling on weight after a drug change? 
I think it's most important to think about the fact that it's easier to prevent weight gain than actually to treat it. Therefore, when we are switching medication or initiating medication in general, and specifically some that has been linked to a increased risk of the weight gain, we need to talk to our patient to inform them that this risk exists and that we actually do not know what is the pathophysiological mechanism mm -hmm. behind it. And that it in this particular moment, and it might change over a time, that it might be a risk to a appetite increase, you know, and uh, having a more of a focus on a diet and the quality of the food that they are having. And I think telling the patients, you know, we understand now that the immune system is uh, intricately involved in regulating our weight and our immune system is defending against weight loss. So mm. that this medication, which is, you know, acting on your immune system, is going to have an impact on, on that defense. And, and we're, you know, beginning to understand that better. We know from the work we've done with our patients that r raising the issue in mm. a non-judgmental way and advising individuals makes a massive difference to how they think about it and what they actually go then and, and do about it. And we were talking, when we were talking about the podcast, about how you bring this topic up. And that was why we called this podcast, Is It Okay to Talk About Your Weight Now? Which I think is a lovely way to open up that conversation. Yeah, we we road tested a lot of different uh, ways of raising the issue with our patient population over the first kind of 10, 15 years of setting up the service. And our psychologists came back and said, this is the clear winner. Is it okay if we discuss your weight today? Is it okay if we talk about your weight today? And if the individual says, actually, no, uh, I'm not quite ready for that, then mm -hmm. you say, that's fine. Look, maybe we will come back to it another time. If they say yes, then you're in. And that's when you need to have the understanding that it's complex, the understanding that treatment is different from prevention, and then the nature of your conversation with the individual is way more likely to lead to behavior change. So in terms of our clinic, we are initiating this conversation in the way that uh, Donald has suggested. But we are also adding another question, which is we haven't checked your weight in a while. And is it OK to do mm. it today? And Donald, you did hint weight gain is much, much more complex than what you put in and what you exercise, isn't it? There is a, a, a massive complexity around appetite, satiety, triggers to eating. And I suppose my thinking has been informed by the severe and complex spectrum that, that I have dealt with, which, you know, with the mean BMI attending our clinic is 45 and a lot of those individuals will have had issues in childhood, issues around eating disorders. Many will have lost large amounts of weight many mm. times in their lives and put it back on again. But whether your BMI is 29 or 39, you have a relationship with food that is your personal relationship with food. You have your comfort foods uh, you have the foods you turn to when you you know you're not right and you you need uh, just to be comforted uh, and and everybody has those so i think just acknowledging that is is 
really important for patients. Telling people that your total weight, your current energy store is what your body wants it to be. And if you lose any weight, your body starts defending it. And again, you know, the analogy of people who give blood, you can give blood because you know that eight weeks later, your hemoglobin will be back up to where it was for you. So if that was 14.2, you're back up to 14.2. If it was 12.6, you're back at 12.6. And you don't control that. Your body is returning its hemoglobin to where it wants to be. Your total energy store is arguably at least as important as your hemoglobin. Uh, so your body wants to get it back to where it was. And uh, so it's a battle. And, and to target any more than 5% weight loss through lifestyle change is to set your patient up for failure. And to make really let them realize that through changing energy in and energy out, you maybe can target five kilos weight loss across the next six months. And that would be great. And the health benefits to that, of course, are fantastic. I mean, your, your blood pressure is better. Your risk of diabetes is improved. Your risk of cancer is improved. And you feel better about yourself. So that five to 10% weight loss gives massive health benefit. And is really good for any individual who's either overweight or in the early stages of obesity. It's only when you move out into the, the BMIs of 38 and 40s that you, you need to be really adding in the pharmacotherapy and thinking about the surgery. Another great analogy about the haemoglobin. <laughs> I'm picking lots up here. We should probably talk about, in Anna, us. can you tell us, you know, if people are obese, how does that have a direct I'm going to stop that there if people have obesity. Sorry. So people first language is so important in this space. Okay. Uh, and was the uh, thing uh, last year was the biggest drive from the European Association of People Living with Obesity, that people first drive. So, uh, and so a, we're bit like self- H- a bit like, I guess, the way we talk about HIV is people living with HIV rather than HIV positive people. Absolutely. And we're self-correcting in our team. It's, you know, people talk about, uh, oh, he's diabetic. You know, that that's historical language now. You won't get published in the journals if your language isn't people first. Um, Uh, And that's important. Thank you for correcting me. We have been dealing with with the body composition changes for over 20 Mm. years because in the pre-heart era, with untreated HIV infection, it can uh, it led it to catabolic effect and underweight and the weight lost. Then in early antiretroviral treatment, it was a weight regain that actually led in some uh, older uh, antiretroviral treatment to lipodystrophy, central obesity, peripheral lipoatrophy. And all of these um, body composition changes had uh, led, as, as we all know, to a further stigmatization of the mm. people living with the HIV. Therefore, we have led on the purple... Uh, people first language uh, in not only in the HIV, but also on the body composition changes. And therefore, with a late antiretroviral treatment and the fact that we are living in modern obesogenic environment, we have observed that, that the people living with the HIV are, are having also, are living now with overweight and obesity. 
and that all leads to uh, increased risk of multimorbidity, obesity, frailty and disability. So as a part of our job is not only to prevent the consequences of the weight gain, but also to learn how mm. to appropriately and without any further stigmatization talk to our patients. And I also think that the changes in body composition and the lipodystrophy that has been seen from the very early days of HIV speak to the interaction between the immune system, adipose tissue and weight. So it's really only in the last 10 years that we've realized that the immune system is actively regulating weight and adipose tissue. Whereas, in fact, when you go back to the early uh, HIV experience, both at presentation and the impact of treatment, it was screaming at you that the immune system and adipose tissue and weight are intimately related. But we're still only teasing it out. Exactly. And that's why we do believe that we can learn a lot one from each other. And we need to continue this collaboration with, uh, with obesity experts. So if we're being our patient advocate and writing to our GP, what what and when should we be suggesting people with obesity enter into treatment? I think that anybody who reports any concern about their uh, body composition or the weight gain, especially people who are what we defined at this point as outliers, so people who are gay, who has gained over uh, 10% of the weight in one year. If we're going to approach uh, individuals, we, we really need to look uh, not just at their weight, but uh, what are the complications that their weight are leading to? Because you can be uh, fit and healthy, healthy at 120 kilograms without any features of the metabolic syndrome. And you can be 72 kilos, but you're inactive and maybe have a diet that's less healthy than it should be. And you can have several features of the metabolic syndrome. And at the end of the day, that's what the metabolic syndrome is. It's just a collection of cardiovascular risk factors. And if we're making it a routine part of our uh, assessment of individuals, which we should be, then we're going to be guided more by the degree of complication of their overweight rather than just the weight itself. And I think if you're routinely measuring waist circumference, which is a really good metric, and patients understanding that actually I can get a lot fitter without changing my weight at all, but if I come from 40 inches down to 38 inches, I've had a massive improvement in, in my health from a cardiovascular point of view. So we have to write to the GPs and we have to say, look, this treatment is being started. Um, and that's whether it's a HIV-based treatment or a, an antipsychotic treatment. So the next period of time is, is a period of risk. Uh, raise the issue. Signposting the patient to uh, something like Weight Watchers or an online weight management program, that can make a big difference. When does pharmacotherapy come in? And in general, the, the cutoff is a BMI of 35 for starting pharmacotherapy at the moment. And I think that will change over the next 10 to 15 years when we get more availability uh, and more evidence. 
and hopefully in time cheaper drugs because at the moment there is a limited uh, range of uh, available medication and supply is a massive problem. So if someone had diabetes, for example, and a BMI of 35, you'd be thinking more along the lines of start earlier rather than later. So I think that's been an area of massive change in the type 2 diabetes field in the last two or three years, uh, where if you're diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, you are either advised to go on a very low calorie diet for a period of six months Mm -hmm. because there's evidence that you can reverse the type 2 diabetes or you are considered for early bariatric surgery. Uh, And in fact, they're changing the name now to metabolic surgery in that setting because really the individual has type 2 diabetes. That's why they're having their gastric bypass or their sleeve Mm -hmm. gastrectomy. And it's a fantastic operation that puts type 2 diabetes into remission. And I think in in time, it'll be like taking a gallbladder out for gallstones. So I would definitely recommend us as healthcare professionals who are dealing with with people living with DHIV to follow the national guidelines. I think it, it, I believe that it needs to be a multidisciplinary approach. We need to include our pharmacists, our specialist nurses, as well as dietitian and physiotherapists if we have access to, to, to their help in our team. Apart from following uh, national guidelines, we are in a great position to individualize antiretroviral treatment uh, for for people living in, for our patients. But we also need to need to individualize screening for comorbidities, individualize co-therapies to meet the needs of prevention and the treatment of obesity, and individualized lifestyle management. And uh, that should definitely be our aim at this mm-hmm. point. I would like also to raise one other issue when we are talking about the weight. I would like to draw everybody's attention to the fact that the COVID pandemic Mm. has uh, significantly compounded the weight gain and the effects observed um, with uh, with it had been very, Mm. very high. So it is not only about antiretroviral treatment regimen, but uh, we need to always remember that the weight gain is considerably influenced by Mm. lifestyle. So we, we, we need to look at the broader picture and not exclusively focus on, on antiretroviral treatment. Mm. I think and that's nice to hear as well, because definitely in an MDT, we often get bogged down with tinkering around with drugs rather than thinking um, about the wider picture of what's going on. You know, is, it, is this related to COVID or lifestyle or someone's broken a leg, for example? <laughs> I agree. We need further studies to understand what uh, potential switches of a treatment can do, if there is anything that actually uh, we can do in terms of antiretroviral treatment choices in order to revert uh, weight gain. So prevention and uh, early intervention should be our goal at this point until we do actually Mm. understand what are pathophysiological mechanism of the weight gain in people living with the HIV and uh, and certain treatments. So we, yeah, we, it's, it's unchanted ground. At this point, we, we need really to understand more. So thank you ever so much for your insights into this fabulously interesting topic. Let's wrap up with some top tips for listeners. Donald, can you give me your number one? So for me, the number one goal 
in in you know taking part in a, a podcast like this is to get the message out there that uh, body weight is not a choice for the majority of people. It's mm-hmm. influenced by a lot of factors that are outside of our control. And if you just raise the issue empathetically and non-judgmentally with your patients, then you've taken the first step towards them having a more positive and open attitude to dealing with their weight. Mm. And that's the foundation of behavior change, progress and self-compassion. Perfect. Anna, what would be your top top goal for us? So we know that lifestyle intervention works, diet, exercise, medical and surgical intervention works. We need to work on the basis of preventing consequences of, of a weight gain and, and learning how to speak adequately with, uh, with our patient about, uh, about this issue. We know that uh, some of the antiretroviral choices can affect weight, glucose, lipids and cardiovascular outcomes, but central to our approach should be uh, supporting people to take action to improve their lifestyles. Thank you. What my, my main learning point from this chat is really um, how to use language better. So talking about people living with obesity as we do with our uh, people living with HIV. And I think just talking more you know, being bolder, opening up those conversations. And yeah, I mean, I think it's been brilliant. And I'll just say thanks very much. Thoroughly enjoyed that chat. And I think it's really lovely that it was happening on World Obesity Day. So thank you ever so much, Anna and Donald, for being part of this podcast. Donald has a research Twitter handle, O'Shea Hogan Lab, if anyone wants to follow that. Anna, you're missing out on social media. You should get some handles going. Um, But thank you ever so much for taking part in this. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the episode of HIV in Focus. If you enjoyed it, do tune in to one of our other episodes from the series. HIV in Focus has been created and fully funded by Gilead Sciences.